Our guest today is an ambitious driven young woman who is always willing to step out of her comfort zone and learn new things. She's honest, authentic, confident, and has known what she's wanted to be in life from a very young age. She is the personal assistant of Andy Cohen and the chief of staff for his production company called Most Talkative. This talented young woman is a rising star on a journey to achieving her childhood dream. She works hard and seizes every opportunity. We are so delighted to have Darren Karp with us today on the show. And now introducing your host, co-founder and president of Woman Leadership Nation, Jennifer Latticer. Okay, great. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on our podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so exciting to talk to you. Um, I've done a lot of research and I've interviewed a lot of inspiring women and I have to say you're incredible. Oh, thank you so much. I'm going to need that sound bite so I can use it as a ringtone for me every time I'm having a bad day. Oh, amazing. (laughs) So, you know, what we do here is we really like to share stories because especially in today's day, it's really inspiring to just be able to, to get a closer look at everybody has a journey and sort of share your journey with everybody so that maybe we can learn a little bit. So I'd love to start from the beginning in terms of, you know, when you were young, what did you want to be? Well, when I was young, I'm thankful and I'm fortunate to have always known what I really wanted to be. And I'm still in pursuit of that goal. So when I was about seven years old, roughly around seven, I uh, uh, decided I wanted to be a game show host. I came home after school and I would put on Game Show Network and I'd watch Gene Rayburn and Monty Hall and their plaid suits, you know, and Richard Dawson and stuff on Match Game. And it was just I just thought it was the coolest job. I always remember thinking like game shows were such a form, a fun form of television. And like, even if you lost, you had a great time. And yeah. that so much joy as a kid. And I just wanted to do that uh, growing up. And so I'm in pursuit of becoming a game show host actually as we speak. Wow. Oh, are you? Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. amazing. Oh, I hope that comes true for you. That's so cool. But that's yeah. also, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that before. So well, that's... It's it's beneficial because it is one of those dreams where it's like people are going to think immediately it's like outlandish. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, psh, okay. But as you grow up, people are going to be like, oh, Darren wanted to be a game show host. Like it's memorable. Yeah. It's outlandish, but it's memorable for sure. I love it. I love it. And so looking at where you are today, maybe could you give us a little bit of uh, like, how did you get to where you are today? Like, what was it in terms of, I know you studied psychology, which I'm sure really helps you a lot. Maybe yeah. tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah. So I, you know, just basically going back from college, I mean, I didn't have any media experience at all. I didn't have anyone in my family who was in media. And I sort of had this really weird dream. And it's, it's not one of those things where, you know, if you want to be an executive, you know, the ladder of the, you know, you know, the rungs of the ladder, right? Coordinator, director, whatever. But game show host, it's not like you're like a mini game show host (laughs) and, and like a vice president of game show hosting. It's like, you know, a lot of it is where preparation meets opportunity. You know what I mean? And it's not like I could make those opportunities necessarily come around, but I could be really, really prepared for when they, if, and when they did. And so I went to Lafayette college and I graduated in 2010 and I was like a psych neuro major because they didn't have communications at my school at the time. And I thought, 
listen, I'm interested in this stuff. I wanted to be a therapist if game show and entertainment didn't work out. It kind of goes hand in hand because you really want to understand the human condition, how to talk to people, have empathy for people. And that makes a really good host. You know, one of the key things about being a really good host is listening. And that seems really easy to do. But a lot of times, and I'm sure you can relate being on a podcast, it's like sometimes we're just thinking about our next question and the point that we want to make. And while that's great and very valuable, you're missing what the other half of the conversation can be unless you listen. So being in college really taught me that. And that was that I was very fortunate to have that. And I did this. uh, It was like this kind of networking night because Lafayette was it was in Pennsylvania, but it was close to the city. And you could meet old, older alums that had graduated and were in your field. And they had some people in media. And I met this woman named Wendy, and she was a reporter on the show called High Net Worth um, on CNBC. Now, this is right before the stock market crashed in 08. Okay? So, but it was a show of its time. I will yeah. say that. And, you know, I went up to her and we were talking. I said what I wanted to do. You know, I had no experience. I didn't know how to break into the industry. And she basically said that she liked my personality so much that she would like love to have me as her intern. So I got that internship just by like, I I hate networking for like, I just, I loathe it. I think it's very uncomfortable and awkward, even though I'm not shy. So I was kind of nervous going into it because I just- Yeah, I was going to ask you that. People are afraid, especially when you're starting out in your career. I know for me too, I would go into networking situation. I'd say, I have to meet three people. Then I can go home. (laughs) How did you overcome that? Well, I think to your point, like for me, I'm a task oriented person. Like if I write it down in a list, no matter what the task is, because it's written down, I want to accomplish it. I want to cross it off. And so in my mind, if I said to myself, listen, I'm going to go, you never know you're going to be, I might as well make something of myself. I mean, I can still remember feeling really awkward wanting to be around my friends, but I saw her there kind of by the food table. We struck up a conversation and it proved to be really, really helpful. I think by saying to yourself, I want to meet two new people. I want to get two business cards. Even if it's just that, I think it just helps pull you out of your shell. You kind of have to use your own personality tools, you know, and listen, I mean, the biggest thing that I've learned, I'm 32 years old now, but the biggest thing I've learned is like, the worst that can happen is someone says no. Oh my God. Okay. So I live and breathe that. So I reached out to you today or the other day thinking, well, was the worst thing you could say is no. It's and you're in the same position that you were beforehand, right? Like exactly. me saying no isn't changing your life at all, really, except yeah. you might not be able to interview me, right? But like right. at the end of the day, it's not changing you morally. It's not changing it's- the fiber of your being, right? Exactly. No, I, and I think that's something that's really valuable that people should be, you know, try it, do it today, pick, pick something and just go for it. And I think that's also something I've kind of, from looking into your past, like it sounds like too, you've just overcome fear. And do you agree that you have to kind of overcome certain things that scare you to grow? hundred percent. I mean, if you're not challenging yourself and you're not putting yourself in an uncomfortable position, position, more or less, not always, but sometimes then there's no growing pains. And that really is how we grow. I mean, if everything was meant to be comfortable and easy, no one would have a hard life. And I think any hard decision I've ever had to make in my life, it's usually the right decision is usually the hardest, you know? And, and for me, that's really where I discovered a lot of myself, but I'm a different person at 32 than I was at 19. And that had to come with a lot of age and time and confidence and maturity. Because I think when I was younger, especially in college, it felt like if I don't do this, it's never going to happen for me. If she doesn't say yes, then my whole life is off its trajectory. Now at 32, while I'm still young, I kind of can say to myself, okay, 
someone says no, that doesn't really mean much. I can go to another outlet. It's not going to define everything I do from here on out, you know, and, and that definitely came with time, I think, and growing up. Are you able to also kind of reflect on with age, I found it come for me is like, sometimes things are just not meant to be. The energy is pulling you in another direction. And it sounds like for you and your career, it's pulled you in another direction, but an amazing direction. It might be coming back to your goal in the very beginning. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think sometimes for me, especially because I'm a high anxiety person, like I need closure. I need everything to be a little button, whether it's in my personal relationships with people or my professional life. But as I've sort of grown up, as I've been in many relationships, as I've had certain amount of jobs, I sort of realized like it, you can't control everything. And the only control that you kind of can have is knowing that you don't have control over everything and that's okay. And sometimes you have to let it go and you have to be in the right mindset to just be like, I'm going to move forward with this because it doesn't help you as an individual to hold on to anything that you can't control. It's like drinking a bottle of poison and hoping the other person dies. You know, it's like, it's only hurting you and eroding your own character. And I wouldn't say it took me a long time to realize that, but I will, I will say it definitely was, it's been a journey and it it certainly was a journey for when I was younger. Um, I think that's normal though. I think everybody goes through that. And then there's some adults that still need to do it. There's a lot of adults that still do it. A lot of adults (laughs) in power that still need to do it. Exactly, exactly. So don't worry, you're definitely ahead of the crowd. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to go into specifics, but I think people can do the lines there. And yeah, I don't think we need to go into any specifics, but there might be some good examples. (laughs) Yeah, turn on the news, you'll see good examples of this. But like, you know, I think when I look back at my career, everything that I think was maybe a risk or took me out of my comfort zone. It was things that I didn't realize at the time were big moves, you know? So basically I went to go work at CNBC at a college. I had an internship my sophomore year uh, leading into my junior year. And then uh, I went abroad to Australia. You know, I kept in contact with everyone at CNBC. I came into Lafayette a year ahead with my AP credits. So my senior year, I could kind of take like public speaking and things like that. It was a little bit of a lighter course load. And so I would commute to go work at CNBC. Uh, I only had class two days a week. I'd commute and work at CNBC the other days. And I was sort of my freshman year, even before I could get a job, I was researching, you know, like, how do you become a game show host? Like, what, yeah. like, what what's the step? And <laughs> I had researched some of my favorites. And my my idol, my hero is Monty Hall. And I know this Gene Rayburn guy, Regis Philbin. And a lot of things that these people had in common were, they were NBC pages. And that was the first time I had ever heard about NBC page. And, you know, I think in the in the zeitgeist now, you think of Kenneth from 30 Rock. He's sort of a page, right. you know, and, and we wore the suits and you give to Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And I wanted to apply to the page program. And I really, that was my only job. That was my only thing that I ever wanted. And first semester of my senior year, working at CNBC and going to class, and they had something for interns where it was like, come learn about the page program, you know, like, Come into the city because CNBC is in Jersey. It's not in it's not in 30 Rockefeller Plaza in the city. And I couldn't make it because I had classes. So I reached out to the head of the program and I said, listen, I'm a college student. Being a page is the only thing I've ever wanted to do. I will, I will inconvenience myself to make it work. Please see me. I would love to buy you a coffee. I need five minutes. Yeah. She said, no problem. I went into the city on a day that I had off. We met. 
we talked and she said she liked my personality so much that she pushed me through the first round of the page program. And so that was just being bold and sort of being out there. I didn't really realize what could happen. It was just yeah. me, you know, and sort of looking back, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. Like life yeah. is what happens when you're making all these other plans. And yeah. that proved to be really beneficial. And, you know, long story short, I got in uh, first semester of my senior year and I started right when I graduated and I was a page for about eight and a half months. Sci- I worked at uh sci-fi, SNL, MSNBC. So I had a really good, I had a really good array of jobs. And one of the things I will say about the page program is, you know, you go on these three month assignments as well as giving tours and booking tickets and everyone wanted SNL and Jimmy Fallon. You know, you wanted the ones where you could see the most celebrities and be glitz and glam. But I looked at that it's funny because it's what I do now. I looked at that and I was like, I'm just going to be getting coffee. And like, yeah, I graduate. that's very smart. I, yeah, I didn't yeah. graduate to go get coffee. Now, I know I had to pay my dues, but yeah. I also knew that I wasn't going to learn anything by, you know, ordering 10 cups of coffee. Absolutely. You're willing to put in the time. You actually want to learn. You're not there to be, go meet a celebrity. It's like, yeah, it's like, that's not your purpose. Doing, You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I guess I'm not phased by celebrity culture. It's just funny. Yeah. I ended up working for a big celebrity, but like, yeah. and I think that's a testament to maybe my character, but I chose the job at, uh, I chose an assignment at, at, uh, at the page program that literally no one wanted. It was called MSNBC tech ops. And the reason no one wanted it was because on the weekends, on Saturdays and Sundays, you had to run teleprompter for the mm-hmm. MSNBC news anchors at 5.00 AM. Yeah. And, you know, we were 21, 22 at the time, you know, no, yeah. no 21, 22 year old wants to get up to go at work. <laughs> You're coming home from work at 5.00 AM. Exactly. You know? So it was an entirely different lifestyle, but I knew if I was running prompter in the control room, I'd get to meet these people and yeah. also wait, it was going to be hard. And listen, I got my ass handed to me for sure. Like you get blamed yeah. and you learn very, very quickly what to do and what not to do. And the sort of the, you know, the brashness of a newsroom, but I needed that. And I didn't have anything like that. And it really did help because about eight and a half months into the program, you know, and I had been very, very vocal about me wanting to be a game show host. Like, I told everyone because the yeah. more people you tell, they're going to remember it to your point. It's memorable. You know, they you never know, right? You like, never know. You like, never know. How is that going to hurt me? You know, maybe some yeah. people can take me seriously, but I was willing to take that risk in order for like the one person to take me seriously. And this job was coming out to be the coordinator, the production development coordinator at Bravo for this mm-hmm. guy named Andy Cohen. Yeah. Uh, and this was in 2011. So this was like, he was Andy Cohen, but he wasn't Andy Cohen yet. Like he was on one, two nights a week. He was still kind of getting his, you know, his legs or whatever. I had never even watched Bravo. I didn't know who he was. Oh, yeah. For a treat. (laughs) I know. Uh, Trust me. I know. And to be honest with you, I looked down at being an assistant at the time and I said, I want to go be a reporter in Idaho and Mm. work my way up in the local markets because that's what I saw people doing you know, the decades beforehand, I didn't know what that was. And I missed the deadline to apply. And they invited me back in one more time. And they said, listen, like, if you don't want to do the job, don't take the job, don't apply. But we think that due to what you want to do and your personality, this job, we can't get a better job for you out of the page program than this job. He's got an insane Rolodex. He'd be a mentor for you. People don't tell you, you need a mentor in your industry enough. Yeah. It's so wildly helpful. You know, it's like having a parent in your professional life, right? Someone who's there to really care for you, you can trust, who's been through it. You need that, especially in entertainment. 
Yeah. And uh, they were just like, you know, his Rolodex is insane. And he does a similar thing to what you want to do. You got nothing else going on. Like, yeah. just apply. And I, I was convinced. I was like, all right, sure. Why not? And yeah. uh, I applied. It was four rounds, two rounds of HR, one with his previous assistant and one with him. And I got it, you know. And, and the thing about it was when I interviewed with him, he interviewed me for maybe two and a half minutes. And he mm. was like, what's your favorite Bravo show? What's your least favorite Bravo show and why? I never see no, it. Okay. I oh, did no. research. I did research. So <laughs> okay, good. the show was Watch It Happens Live. I knew the housewives. I knew it was yeah. on the network. You know, I'm I'm a very studious person. And yeah. So I said, well, my favorite show on Bravo is Inside the Actor Studio, which no one in their right mind would ever say. And uh, I love Millionaire Matchmaker because it teaches me what to do on dates with women. And he laughed at that. But the reason I wanted to throw in the gay thing was I, I was like trying to be yeah, related. like you can you know, bond. Like, we're both yeah. gay. Like, yeah. you know, it could help me. That's a real, I was yeah. like, this could help me and it would make him laugh. And he did. And note that I didn't say it was his show because I figured that would be way too obvious and way too like brown, yeah. brown nosery. You, you know have to I'm play saying? it cool, even though you, in the background, are studious. <laughs> yeah. And like, I have to be myself. You know what I yeah. mean? I'm getting this far being myself with my personality that why kind of stop now? And he asked me what my least favorite Bravo show was. And I said, <laughs> all the housewives. <laughs> and he looked at me with a mouth agape, like, who is this person who is applying to be my assistant? This is like, you know, this is a freaking franchise. This is like the most popular show. This is yeah. like bread and butter. And I'm basically <laughs> saying, I can't relate to these women. I think they're vapid. I got nothing to say about it. Yeah. And I basically left that interview being like, no chance. Yeah. Yes. Like absolutely none. Like if he's smart, he's not going to pick me. And a week later, you know, I got in and I asked him once I started, I was like, why did you pick me? I was like, I got to know. And he was like, you were really, really honest. You were honest that you were willing to say something. And, you know, when I look back on it now, he didn't want someone who would, that would be freaking out every time a singer walked through the door and can I get a selfie? Can I do this? Can I do that? You wanted someone who was going to be like, who would run teleprompter at 5am on the week. And those skills mirrored that job for me. I I think you bring up so many great points and especially like being honest and open because that was how you really felt, but maybe you had ideas for how to improve it. Right. Like it's think always people do business with people they like and you have an amazing personality and you're not afraid to, you're not, um, cause people can only live so long per- trying to pretend that there's somebody that they're not. Yeah. It's just not well, going to fit. And authenticity is one of those things that you can yeah. smell a mile away, you know, everyone. And I'm just so not anything but me. And, you know, when I started this new job at people TV hosting reality check, um, you know, Andy, he texted me on my first day and he was like, good luck. And he said, I got two pieces of advice for you. Be yourself and mm-hmm. listen, you know, and, and the listening thing has proved so helpful. But I think like authenticity, like people want to see people, whether that's good or bad, be really authentic to who they are. And that's why reality TV mm-hmm. is such a huge hit because we're seeing these monstrous people be okay being monstrous. And yeah, we like that for better or for worse. It's something nice to see other people being human, you know, yeah. and not the Instagram filter of everything looking perfect. And I didn't know it at the time, but that really, that really catapulted my, the start of my career is just really being authentic to who I was. 
That's amazing. And so even with this experience and you have so much confidence, the reality is everybody still has a little bit of fear. And if they don't, they're not pushing themselves far enough. Right. And so like, how do you, how do you even today deal with that? You know, it's funny because I've been doing the gig now since November. So for you about eight months now. And I remember I called Andy, you know, about a month in, and I was like, I'm getting the hang of it. He's like, Darren, it's been four weeks. Like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like as if, you know, it was, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, yo, yo, I am behind, you know, I haven't gotten really used to everything in a month. He's like, it's been four weeks. I've been doing yeah. it for 10 years. Like give yourself a little bit of a break here. And I think that was, you know, for me, my motivator has always, I've sort of been motivated by my own fear. Like I was one of those kids in school that would study for 18 hours for a test, take it, think I failed and get a hundred. Oh, I turned fear of something into something that pushed me forward, not something to sort of hold me back. Now it's really hard. It's really easy to let fear hold you back. And certainly I know plenty of people like that. And, you know, even to this day, I get nervous about not being perfect and not being this and not being that. Um, The only way I can really say that I've gotten through that is by literally going through the issues and going through the problems. You know, I mean, if it's something that I know that I can prevent going forward, I, I study more, you know, I'll research Mm -hmm. something. I'll try and pronounce a name correctly. Uh, I'll repeat it over and over to myself. I practice certain skills, but you know, everyone makes mistakes. The key I think is to try not to make the same mistake twice, Mm -hmm. many times. And you know, when, when you find that, you know, you're talking to other people in the field and I've seen Andy, a friggin' pro, I've seen him make mistakes before and see another day and breathe through it. I mean, you look at the state of the world and social media has sort of made us all connected in a better way for better or for worse. You get seeing examples of other people kind of screw up and still come back with such a vengeance gave me the sense of calm that like, listen, they want me. I'm here for a reason. I could be my personality. Oh, absolutely. But no one's expecting me to be perfect. And you know, no one would like me if I was perfect. Yeah, I completely agree. Even acknowledging the fact that, yeah, this is scary. So this means I'm going to grow. And, and also, I mean, the, one of the biggest things I think I, in terms of failures was I was making a big presentation, a Jewish holiday. And I thought, oh, this would be a bright idea. Why don't I learn some Hebrew? <laughs> oh, no. I don't even have to explain anymore. That's Michelle. But- I'm speaking Yiddish now because I know that it was crazy. <laughs> but let me just say that you know, it, it was amazing because I think they could see the human side of when I didn't exactly do it properly. I was honest and said, look, I'm trying to respect you and trying to do this for you, but clearly, you know, and then they kind of, you just have to have have a personality about it. It kind of reminds me of like going to Paris. You've ever been to France, you know, everyone thinks that Parisians are so snooty, you know, and yeah, it's it's one of my favorite cities. And you know, the thing about it is like, they kind of look down on you when you speak English and they don't look down on you if you try to speak French yes. as long as you're trying, you know, and like yeah. you kind of start off a menu, you know, bonjour, blah, 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 like trying to do it. And then they could see that you could not pronounce beef bourguignon in any yeah. sort of way. They're like, let me help you. But it's okay. You you're try. trying, everyone's sort of, well, if they can see that authentic side of you or not doing it, you know, to, to mean anything, you just yeah. want to learn. You could all use a a helping of trying to learn and having oh, definitely being okay. Like yeah. not everyone can know everything. No. 
So let me let me ask you some questions about the industry itself as well. So as a woman leader in this industry, what advice do you have for other women that are trying to get into it? And sort of how has it changed when you first were in it versus now? Do you see any change in progress in terms of supporting women leaders? I definitely think it's changed. I mean, over the past decade, you know, certainly through my 20s, I mean, listen, the Me Too movement changed a lot. Right now, Black Lives Matter is changing a lot. Just the diversity of faces that I see around the office, you know, whether it's being gay or being a a Black person or being an Asian person, like I've seen just a lot more of that really come into fruition. I mean, if you look at the hosts that are on television now, it's, it's all colors of the rainbow, all walks of life. And that's just been, that's just been great to see you know, because that really is reflection of the world and certainly a reflection of America, in my opinion. Um, So in that way, it's changed. I certainly see a lot more women on camera than I ever did before. I mean, I think that's sort of, that's been, that's been helpful for me, um, certainly as a gay woman. Mm -hmm. But I want to say, like, if you're a woman, if you're anybody who's trying to get into the industry, it's obviously hard, you know, but you don't really need to know someone to necessarily get into it. I mean, if you're showing passion for anything, and like we always say, like being authentic, people really do notice it. And I remember one of the things when I was applying to the page program, my third round, uh, I remember shaking all the security guards' hands, saying good morning to everyone, looking at you in the eye. And I found out later that the page program heads asked the the janitors, the security guards, the front desk people, people he wouldn't think would be part of the interview process. Did that person say hello to you? Did they look um, you in the eye? Did they shake your hand? Did you do that? And you know, I I usually tell interns that I meet with like looking people in the eye with a firm handshake and commanding respect for yourself is yeah. probably 85% of the actual job anywhere. Like I'm so glad you brought that up because like every career I've had and in every opportunity, it's like you have to respect everyone. And let me tell you, the secretaries have a lot of pull. Because <laughs> they see the real person coming through. That, oh, you know? yeah. They see yeah. it before that red camera light comes on. And that oh, really is a testament to a good person. Like anyone can be great when there's a hot mic. The question is when that mic gets turned off, are you treating people with respect? And that has proved me well because I've always, I mean, celebrity or not, I treat everyone, at least in my opinion, with respect. And, you know, I think something that's really helped me is giving a firm handshake and looking people in the eye and, and wanting to get to know them, a genuine concern Mm -hmm. for what they do and how they can affect me. I mean, you know, I always tell interns, I'm like, ask somebody for an informational because Anyone wants to talk about themselves for five minutes, you know, like yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a human condition. If you're a platform and you're genuinely interested, they're going to pick up on that and they're going to really, really help you. And so, you know, my biggest piece of advice is like, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And if you're trying to break into the industry, look up a show you love, a production company you love, a network you love, whatever you love research it, find a contact there, which the internet exists. So you absolutely can Twitter exists this and just, send out a flood of emails and showing your passion within that. And I guarantee you people will write back and will give you the opportunity to speak your mind. Oh, I love that. You also mentioned about a mentor and I think that's a really valuable. Now it sounds like you've had a lot of mentors, you know, what would be, you know, the, the um, biggest mentor opportunity or, you know, relationship that you would say help propel you. I mean, I've had a lot of mentors over the years. I mean, certainly in college, I had a lot of great professors that helped me along and, you know, certainly um, helped me develop my maturity. But I got to say, I mean, my biggest mm-hmm. mentor has been Andy Cohen. Just 
I always joke, he's my friend, my father, or my child, depending on what he's doing, <laughs> uh, for better or for worse. But I say it lovingly. I mean, he's really yeah. been, he's really been such a mentor for me. I mean, just mm-hmm. sort of, you know, telling me how to navigate social media, telling me how to navigate a show, my confidence, the expectations to have, wow. um, it's been more helpful than I could ever imagine. And I saw a men- I have a mentor that I never thought that I ever wanted and never thought that I needed. And he's just taught me so, so much. He's, I mean, it's one of the reasons, you know, I sort of swore to myself, I'd never be with him for more than three years. And I just passed nine years in March. I think it's, I, yes, it's a testament to me, but it really is a testament to him. That's amazing. And so in your life too, do you mentor others? I definitely try to, you know, anyone who reaches out for my college, any college really, um, anyone on a podcast, anyone doing anything, I have absolutely no problem giving them my time. People reach out to me on LinkedIn. I meet with every single person. I meet with every single intern we have, you know, if I'm in the position where I can actually mentor a person like Andy to me directly, you know, if I have an assistant or I have a producer, um, and they view me in that role, I would love to take on that role, but I try and be these temporary mentors for people along the way until they can latch onto their own. And I have no problem being latched onto. That's amazing. It's like mentorship moments. Exactly. It's mentorship <laughs> moments. It's giving, yeah. them, especially for the younger generation. And I understand that I'm young, but you know, especially now in, in the pandemic, I think for a lot mm-hmm. of people who are graduating, they're like, and you know, I kind of suffered this too, because I happened to graduate during the financial crisis. So a lot of unemployment. And then I was competing with the people the year previous who couldn't get a job. So it was just this huge pool of people. And you know, it's kind of like, what do you do? Where am I going to go? What if I don't get a job? What if I'm living at home until I'm 40 and this and that? And I always tell people, I say, you know, first off, like, relax, yes. take a breath. Um, there's a lot more to life than just working and what these steps are, you know, take a, take, take a good look at your life as a, from a whole, you know, whole well-rounded perspective, but your twenties are really like, no one gets their dream job their first job. Like it's very rare to become a pop star at 17 and making good gillions of money by the time you're 21. I mean, that just, the percentage is that so low. 20s are really for, you know, figuring out who you are, figuring out what you want to do, figuring out what you don't like, which is just as important as what you do like, which is Mm -hmm. what the page program helped me with. Your 30s are really where you're establishing what you love, what you really want to do, making a career, not a job. And your 40s is where you make money. And so far, I mean, I'm in my young 30s, but that's sort of proven to be true from everyone I can kind of see at these different points in their lifetime. That's amazing. And it's it's also, you know, from what I see too, and based on uh, experiences I've also had is like for those starting out and especially with COVID going on and that you're right, get, get the job and start to learn, but then also find opportunities for volunteering. And I think that's, you spoke to that too, a little bit about the idea that if you want those skills, like I've, I volunteered at a place where I wanted to eventually be hired and, and I just kept showing up and showing up to eventually that thought, well, I must've be employed here. So you may as well make it official. My dad always said the best thing that you can do is make yourself indispensable to somebody. Yeah. And with Andy, I I think, I'd hope he would agree with this, but I think after nine years, I can probably say this pretty confidently that, you know, I mean, he texts me sometimes. He's like, what's my shoe size? And I'm like, what's your freaking feet? Like, how do I know this? But I do know it, you know, and I can rattle off a social security, I can rattle off this, I can rattle off that. And 
you know, even for something as small as that, he's obviously a perfectly competent person. You know, he's a beautiful parent. But he can just rely on you. It's like, it's easier to ask you. Right. I'm that part of the brain he doesn't have to think about because I've got it covered for him and I prove myself to be indispensable to him to some extent. And not that he wouldn't survive without me. I'm not saying that. I'm not putting myself on a pedestal necessarily, but I put myself in a place where I know that there's mutual trust, there's mutual loyalty, and he can really, really rely on me for any and everything, you know? And, and even now sometimes he'll be like, Ooh, it's really assistant-y. Can you do this? I know, I know you're past this, but can you do it? It's like almost like he's apologizing. For yeah. You, you know, yeah. the power, the power shift has changed. But if you can prove yourself to be indispensable and be that yes man, you know, there's going to be a time, especially in your early on, where you just want to say yes to everything, so you can earn the right to say no. Mm-hmm. That's and really that, good. And that, and you know what? No confidence. In terms of the no, that leads me to maybe another area of questioning is terms of. You know, how do you balance work and life then? You know, because I think that what you're doing could be all encompassing at times if you wanted it to be. Yeah. And so how do you step back and say, okay, no, I need to actually take care of my well-being as well. And Well, I will say one of the first piece of advice is uh, first piece of advice Andy ever gave me was always take a vacation. And I thought that was very interesting for a boss, especially to say to an assistant, because that's not usually encouraged in any sort of environment, let alone entertainment. You know, it's like, you got to be working, you got to burn the midnight oil if you're not here doing that. Um, You know, I started off with Andy, certainly, you know, I was in before him, I stayed later than him. And then, you know, the job has sort of shifted where he knows I can be efficient. And I'm going to get it done. I've sort of earned that right for it not to be like, okay, you need to be here at 8 a.m. It's like, get to work when you want to get to work. And as long as the work is done, I don't yeah. really care. Um, you know, for me, I love what I do. And, mm-hmm. you know, the old cliche is true. If you love what you do, you never really work a day in your life. And it's not yeah. that I don't do work. I absolutely do. And I like chilling out and watching TV and hanging with my friends like anything, but I found that for me, like, because Andy is so good and I've met him at a time where he can really, you know, he has a kid now and, mm-hmm. and he's, he's famous. So he gets to really pick and choose what he wants to do. That has helped me like really cater my life. I'm a very, I'm a person of routine. I do the same thing every morning. I work out on a certain schedule. I shower at a certain time. So I don't really have to use the mental capacity to think about that stuff. And I can free up to do things that I really, really love. And, mm-hmm. you know, the lines are certainly blurred in entertainment. I mean, a lot of my friends work with me. So Mm-hmm. working and personal life definitely gets intertwined for sure. Yeah. I mean, I have two different phones. I used to have three, so I like to separate it. But for me, it's like, I, I, I'm not afraid to take a vacation. I'm not afraid of putting in the hard work. So at night, if I'm burning, if I'm, if I'm going five hours of just pure work, I've earned that right to have a drink with my friends at night. And, and that sort of has helped my capacity to really, you know, and he's also not overbearing in any sort of way. And he's not putting work on me just to do work. He doesn't believe in that. It doesn't seem to at least. And so for me, I mean, it, it was hard, I guess, in the beginning, but you know, I, I fully believe in therapy. I fully believe in taking an hour out of your week, out of your day, out of whatever to have someone to be able to just talk to unbiased and help health. Even if you think you don't need it, everyone needs a therapist. It is very advantageous for every single human being out there to have therapy. Understandable that it's costly. Completely understand that. But, um, and you know, I've gone in waves of being in and out of it, but just having that to even look forward to, where it's like, great, I get an hour of like, not guilty free time for being able to complain about something, you know, it's like, that's a win. And that helps me, you know, have this sort of, this very well balanced type of life, you know? 
Yeah. I mean, I think you have to work on yourself and, and always have that, that wellness, those different components of your life so that you can come to work and thrive and be put all of yourself into it because you you've been able to take that time. And, and also I think it's really hard for certainly right now with COVID, I think a lot of people are struggling as well, trying to put a barrier between work and and home and because they are working from home. And so that's been in pretty interesting. Um, with yeah. you and COVID, how have there been some changes or? Well, my studio isn't as nice in my apartment. I will. <laughs> I, I like the backdrop. Cool. It's very urban. You know, obviously my commute, my, the, the amount of work that I do has been condensed, right? Cause I'm not commuting. I used to have to go to three offices every single day. And, oh, wow. You know, that was a lot. That's a lot of commuting time. Um, you know, but I don't live in a very big apartment, but what I do make sure, especially in COVID and, and to your point about what you were saying before, you really have to be mentally well before you can give yourself to a job, even in a personal relationship. You know, I always say you have to say I, before you can say, I love you. And that's mm-hmm. a really big statement to make. And it, it, you know, even with work, I think it absolutely, you know, I'm no good to answer. Andy, if I can't even get out of the bed in the morning, you know, yeah. how can you rely on someone like that? He needs me to be mentally healthy for myself so I yeah. can be better for him. And in COVID, I mean, I'm thankful, very, very thankful to still be able to assist Andy, even though remotely. Um, so I do a lot of, you know, online siting and, and digital signatures there and working very, very remotely in that regard. Uh, and then uh, working at people and having people TV reality check very thankful that they want to continue working with me. And I have a show four days a week and I honestly, I absolutely love it, you know, and it's regimented and I get to sit on my couch and do my interviews. And then I still do my podcasts. I have two podcasts that I still get to do. And, you know, podcasts are very conducive to working remotely. So that's been super helpful. As you know, I'm sure that hasn't been too interrupted. I mean, I'm sort of very, very thankful that I was on digital before and that never really changed in COVID. So I'm very excited to get back to the office, but thankfully, like the only thing that's been cut down is my commute time. I I actually, even before Corona, I used to work out at home. I never went to a gym. Yeah. So none of that actually changed. Yeah. Like (laughs) I just make sure every day, barring weather, I go out for a walk for at least an hour. I think the mental well-being of getting some fresh air and going outside is huge. And what I've actually appreciated a lot is when we go out for walks, we actually see people. <laughs> I know. I like Isn't that crazy. And like, like kind of interact. Like, and that feels yeah. like, especially in the city, you know, no one wants to pay Manhattan rental prices unless you're in the hustle and bustle of it. And you know, I yeah. live in the Upper East Side and I took a walk yesterday and you know, things are starting to open up again. We're in phase two, about to be in phase yeah. three. And you know, every single restaurant that had an outdoor sidewalk space, you know, which is every restaurant, there were people eating and it felt just Uh, in my heart and in my head know that like as as cheesy as it is with all those sayings of like you know alone but together I felt (laughs) like I I felt that and I was like that feels really really good for my psyche to be I'm alone and isolated in my apartment but I'm together with every single New Yorker every single person in the NHL who's going through the same thing I mean it's funny because like you look at Andy and he's got a, you know, he's famous. He's got a show on air five, five days a week. He's a media mogul. He's a genius. And he is sort of subjected to the same technology that I'm subjected yeah, to. Yeah, I know. It kind of is, it is like, it's kind it's of gets everybody on the same way. equalizer. It's everybody on the same and kind of like being there for each other a little bit more. So yeah. And it, it's provided a little bit more understanding, you know, and it's yeah. like, he's 20 years older than me, but we're now doing the same exact same. thing. 
<laughs> and I love it. You know, it's, I, I miss it. I obviously want this pandemic to be over. Yeah. I think what we're all coming out of it as we're learning, hopefully a lot about ourselves and definitely trying to maintain a healthy, you know, routine is very important. You know, if not for people, maybe I wouldn't shower every day or put on makeup every day, but I'm forced to. And yeah. by doing that, that's really helped my psyche. No, that's, that's really good. So kind of wrapping up, um, you know, what, what do you see for your future then? You know, are you the type of person that like really plans it out and, or just kind of, what would be, obviously the game be, show, but I used to be a planner, you know, and yeah. I, I used to be like, okay, but I could not even, I mean, considering I didn't want the Andy job and considering I never <laughs> people t- TV would come out or I'd be with Andy for nine years, uh, the decade that I've really been, you know, since graduating college and been out on my own, planning has not served me well because it's really unpredictable. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. And again, life is what happens when you're making other plans. So, you know, I can definitely say the direction that I want to go in. I can say that I know what a good decision for me is. You know, I, I don't want to go manage or be a manager of development. I don't want to be an accountant. I don't want to do this, like on this goal to just be on air more and more and more. And that's what I see for myself. I don't know how that's going to manifest in five years, but media itself, I don't know how it's going to manifest. In no, five years, it's know? changing so rapidly. And yeah, that's, I wouldn't that's say I'm living day to day. You know, I, I don't take it day yeah. by day. I have plans for myself and I certainly am planning financially for a future, but um, I, it, it, I'm the type of person if I say, okay, in five years, I'm going to be doing this, this, and this. And when I don't get that, I don't want to look at it as a disappointment. I don't want to look at it as if I'm failing, you know, because yeah. I couldn't predict being with Andy for nine years, 10 years. And I certainly couldn't have predicted having two podcasts, you know, I, most of my life I couldn't have predicted. So just my future is to keep growing, do absolutely more media as much as possible. Talk to as many people as I know and hone that skill and just hopefully, you know, be as prepared as possible for that opportunity to come along. Well, I am absolutely confident you're going to be successful in everything yeah. you do. I hope so. Your <laughs> lips to God's ears, right? Yeah. Lips. Come on. It, it's been an absolute pleasure, honestly. Uh, your energy, your authenticity. I think that there's a lot that people can learn from you for sure. Thank and you I so wish you so much luck. And you know what? Thank you so much. And I think what you're doing is absolutely incredible. I mean, women need to be empowered more than ever. And if we can create more of a community for ourselves, I'd be happy to be a part of it. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Women Leadership Nation's Breaking Barriers podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and share the stories of inspiration and encouragement to women all around the world by forwarding it to a friend. We want to help you continue to learn and grow. Visit WLNAcademy.com for additional resources, guides, training opportunities, and sign up to keep in touch so we can let you know the exciting things that are happening next. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, keep breaking barriers.